Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Marlin's Corner. I am Marlin, and I'm here to give you some fun movies and TV shows to talk about with your friends, your homies, and, you know, just kind of plant some seeds of thought into your brain that you can bring up when discussing these films. Today, we're going to focus on a, uh, on a on a topic, actually. We're going to focus on a topic of film. We're going to focus on spectacle. Now, spectacle can be defined as an impressive, unusual, or disturbing phenomenon or event that is seen or witnessed. And the two films that we're going to talk about today have to do with uh, spectacle and the ways in which they navigate uh, dealing with the spectacle or how spectacle drives the narrative. So the two films we're going to discuss today are Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which you can watch on Peacock, uh, and Not Okay, which you can watch on Hulu. Now, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul is directed by Adama Ibo, and it stars Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown. I mean, quite a duo right there, y'all. Now, this is about Pastorly Curtis Childs, played by Sterling K. Brown, and his wife, First Lady Trinity, played by Regina Hall, who run the Southern Baptist Church, aka a megachurch, called Wander to Greater Paths. Now, the spectacle that this movie um, has to address and uses it to kind of like drive the narrative is a sexual scandal involving the pastor Lee Curtis and several young men who are in the community. Now, this scandal has caused them to close the church and, you know, they're suffering a bunch of backlash and everyone from the church is just leaving. A year passes by and the film decides to really show us the ways in which spectacle has affected not only the church, but the greater community. On the one hand, the community is seeing this as, you know, some nonsense, like you know, this is a black man. He's like successful. These young men are lying. They're out to get him. They're all adults. They're consensual. Why would they be suing? This doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, he's a great guy. And on the other hand, you have folks who are, I think what's great about this movie is that the folks who are dissenting or have dissenting views, we often see them as younger individuals, as young folks who were church adjacent are seeing this as no, these are bad people. No one should go to that church. It's terrible what they did. That's what we're seeing from the community side of things. When we turn that lens on the child's family, it gets really interesting. When we look at First Lady Trinity, she has a very interesting split. She has two thoughts when it comes to this spectacle. Her first thought is very materialistic. She's the first lady. She's up there. She looks good. Everyone loves her. She's bathed in this light when she's on stage. I mean, homegirl buys like a $2,000 like church hat on a whim because she wants to look good on her first day back. You know, she lives in this beautiful house. It's infinity pool. She wants to return to that. She wants to get back to that. She wants to be uh, at the center of adoration of the church community again. So of course she's down with her husband to like let bygones be bygones and let's get folks back in these pews. That's her one thought. Her other thought is of a woman who just found out her, her husband has been cheating on her and all also maybe gay. 
And we see that, you know, she has several moments in this film where she is at odds with him. She doesn't know exactly how to support him. You know, there's at some point where they're, you know, trying to have sex and it's not working out. She doesn't know how to support him. She wants to be there for him. She's still unsure of things. You know, she's out there in the streets a lot of times and she is bumping elbows with people who are being rude and mean to her regarding the scandal. So she's facing that. And at a certain point, you know, she's talking to her mom about like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if we, if our marriage can survive this spectacle, this scandal. And her mom pretty much chastises her and says, no, you're a Christian. We don't quit. God bless your marriage. You need to stick it out. And she's fighting with these two thoughts in her head of like understanding the social emotional need that she has, but also understanding that there are comforts with this lifestyle. And she's just at odds the whole film. Whereas her husband, Pastor Lee Curtis Childs, has a very different reaction to this. He is absolutely optimistic that things can change. That, yeah, this happened, but you know, God, doesn't make perfect men. It's going to be okay. We'll get those numbers up. You know, matter of fact, let me figure out what suit I'm going to wear on the first day of church because I got to look good. He has his whole his whole part of the film where he shows off this amazing closet of all these expensive suits and he wants to return to that. When we focus up on him and his past sermons, we of course he has a sermon that discusses that being gay is a sin and being gay and gay people in general are seeking to undermine the foundations of real marriage, which again is very hypocritical of him because he is obviously pursuing men. But we see him bathe in this gold light. Whenever there's a flashback to his past sermons, he's always bathed in this golden glow, which gives us the viewer the perspective that this is where he feels most comfortable, most alive, most fulfilled. And that's where a lot of the film pretty much sees him at. He's at that level of like, I want to get back to here. I want to return to that. And on the other side of things, and, you know, in a small, like in a small, like sliver of social emotional, we see that he himself is unsure about himself. He's unsure if he can go without the church. He says that many points in the movie, I need this. You know, I, I need this. I need to save souls. But he always says, I need this first. And we also see that he's, you know, with him being materialistic, that there is also this bit of he hasn't changed. There's a point in the film where he's hitting on a male boom mic operator. And it's like, so you're still doing it. You know, he's like, hey, like, I can help you out. I know people like, how can I help you? And it's like, my guy, you have not learned. And despite that, his wife is still there to support him up until the very end of the film is where we're almost seeing that they're going to, you know, rock things out together. But at the end of the film, we see that the spectacle has gotten too big. We see that, you know, they're trying to override the spectacle with the home for Jesus and like being out there and doing all these events. But the spectacle, the scandal is far too big for them to override with, you know, some some positive spectacle. You know, they there there is nothing, there's nothing they can do about it. At the very end of the film, they only have five people in their church. And as they're standing outside and the pastor is talking about, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're going to get 500 people. It's going to be like it normally was. Just you wait. We see that First Lady Trinity, you know, as she just stares off into the distance, begins to recognize and realize there's no coming back from this. 
that what's happening now is real and that they have failed. The spectacle is so big. There is no way around it. There is no way through it. It has ruined them. And it's 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 a wild film. It has its funny and amazing and goofy moments. But at the end of it, it talks about how, hey, this big spectacle was so big that whatever work they did did not matter because they chose not to address it in a way that felt real or felt organic. All their work was for nothing. And their megachurch is going to wander to its own greater path, which, you know, unfortunately means it's going it's to close its doors probably indefinitely. And that's, you know, Hong for Jesus, Save Your Soul. It's a fun film, really entertaining. Check it out. Check it out on Peacock. It's really entertaining. It's also produced by Monkey Paw and 59% Productions. Monkey Paw, of course, is Jordan Peele. 59% Production is Daniel Kaluuya. So, hey, they got their hands in that bag, you know what I'm saying? And the last one we're going to talk about that deals with spectacle is Not Okay. This film was about this young lady who, you know, wants followers, she wants fame. And the way she goes about it is by lying about her involvement in a really dangerous spectacle. This film is directed by Quinn Shepard and it stars Zoe Doge. Now, the film uh, follows a character named Danny. Danny Sanders, who is an aspiring writer, uh, but honestly is also the photo editor of an online magazine in New York City. She wants to write. All the things she writes about aren't relatable. They're just really, you know, wacky. They're not really on topic. And, you know, she's just told, yo, just do your photo editing thing. That's what we pay you for. And we also see that Danny wants to be Instagram famous. She wants to get that blue check mark. She wants to do what her co-workers are doing, going to these events and like really having notoriety, which she does not have. So in order to, you know, elevate herself, she decides to, you know, lie on social media, which it's it's social media lying's kind of par for the course. But her lies land her in hot water when she decides to say that she is, you know, on a writing retreat in Paris, France, right when there were several major terrorist attacks going on. Now, instead of her deciding to see the spectacle as way too big uh, for her not to admit she's lying, she decides to see the spectacle as an opportunity. She sees within the spectacle the chance to elevate her standing. So she double downs on the lie. She decides to, you know, go to the airport, pretend she's coming back from the terrorist attacks, and you know, she winds up being uh, put on TV show. She winds up being the symbol of uh, sympathy. You know, her photo is taken at the airport of her in a little red beret and her family crying and the notoriety in which she sought, well, that spectacle helped bring her there. You know, she winds up being involved in other trauma support groups and stepping into the activism ring in order to elevate her clout again. She, you know, winds up getting uh, a hashtag that blows up and goes viral. Hashtag I'm not okay. And it connects with people in a way. She's finally found uh, her niche. She's finally found an end to being her picture, her picture perfect self, her Instagram self. She's finally found it. Up until it's discovered that she is lying about everything. And, you know, Danny is given an option, you know, once her coworker discovers that, hey, like I can tell like you, you know, I took your computer, you photocopied everything, you're a liar and gives Danny the chance to 
open up and say she lied. And then we see a very interesting thing. We see that Danny goes from one spectacle to another spectacle. She goes from one spectacle of being a survivor of a terrorist attack to being in the center of a spectacle of being someone who lied about being a survivor of a terrorist attack. And we see her go through being doxxed and being you know, harassed online, losing her job, really being dragged through the dregs of the internet uh, and this huge spectacle event. And the film doesn't give her a happy ending. She is a character that is really, really hard to sympathize with or sympathize for. She made her choices. They were bad choices. And at the end of the day, when we see her make these choices, she gets what she deserves. But it's fascinating to watch how spectacle can can elevate someone and also drag them down just as fast. And that's not okay on Hulu. Really entertaining. It's a little cringy at parts. Uh, This Danny Sanders character is obviously a a millennial. Uh, So if you watch it, be prepared to kind of be like, ugh, this girl is over the top and doing way too much. And lastly, folks, as we wrap up here, I think it's important to just bring this up. Um, Fantasy is fantasy, you know? It's a fun, imaginative a place to get away from the norms of the world and to also see yourself in different scenarios in different places uh, that are just really fun and really entertaining. And so it's a bit disappointing when we see, you know, on the internet people getting angry at the inclusion of black and brown people in their favorite in their fantasy franchises. You know, it's important that when these authors wrote these books, you know, hey, they weren't around a lot of people that look like, you know, me, a black guy. And so, yeah, it's going to reflect their surroundings. They're going to have a lot of white people in them. But it doesn't mean that, hey, you can't ever have a black or brown person in here. Fantasy doesn't bar certain skin types or races from existing in those worlds. Fantasy is fantasy. It's not real. You can put anything you want in there. You can put dragon people. You can put uh, orcs and Orukai, but you can't put a black person there. That's a little close by if you ask me. So it's important to remember that we are here to escape the regular world through fantasy. And if you are someone who finds yourself annoyed by these, just remember that people like me often imagine ourselves in in worlds that don't have us anyway. You know, we read books like, like The Lord of the Rings and we imagine ourselves in them anyway because even though they're white characters, we're not white, but we still vibe with the book and that's okay. If we're going to be in it, that's fine. We're not taking anything away from it. Having us be involved in it just makes us more excited to be included. You know, we're like, oh snap, look, there's a person that looks like me. That's awesome. That's really cool. For a very long time, we did have that. Remember that for a very long time, there weren't a lot of people on TV that reflected the general demographic of the United States. And we all still enjoyed those films. We still love the Audrey Hepburns. We still loved uh, the Clint Eastwoods, despite not seeing characters that looked like us or positive reflections of us. We still saw these films as cool things to be involved with. Oh, cool, this is a cool fantasy story or a cool uh, idea. And now that there are more people aware of the demographic of the United States, they want to, you know, have a cast that reflects that. That's fine. Nothing is being taken away from a fantasy world that has immortality and magic rings. Having one or two black folks in there is not going to make it worse, all right? It's not. So just Calm down and enjoy it. Like we all are all having a great time. We don't want to argue with you the semantics of how these 
you know, black elves came out of nowhere. Hey, it's fantasy. They just popped up. We don't care. They're there. We had a homeboy fall from a meteor into a crater. And you're asking me, <laughs> why come this elf has a fade and is black? There's a meteor guy that came from the sky. Come on now. This is ridiculous. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. We all are. The world's on fire, y'all. It's 98 degrees in California in certain places, 115 in others. The world's on fire. We're is looking to enjoy television and not turn on the news, all right? Have fun, enjoy it like it's meant to be enjoyed. That's me stepping down the soapbox, back on level ground, back in the corner. Listen, y'all, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to, you know, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook at Marlon's Corner. Love to hear from you. Maybe you want to tell me some movies you like too. I'd be down for that. But until then, folks, we'll catch you in the corner next time on Marlon's Corner. Bye-bye. This episode of Marlin's Corner was produced in Richmond, California.